Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text this morning is from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. My dear friends in Christ, this is one of those unfortunate Sundays that pop up during the church year where the pastor wants to preach on each and every one of the texts. And unfortunately, I don't think you're going to give me all that time. So we're going to pick and choose a little bit, but we're going to go through it. And everything really is based here in this gospel lesson. So hopefully we'll get to a good chunk of it. But I mean, I would love to break down Hebrews and spend like at least an hour discussing each one of those people that is brought up and looking at their story in light of what the author to the Hebrews says. But but that's OK. We'll we'll save that, I'm sure, for another time. Right. Um I think, as we look at this text, as we look at what Jesus is saying to us, we have this tendency to think that Jesus is perhaps a bit provincial, a bit simple. The world has changed from Jesus' time. Now, it used to be, That you could go into the fields, and if you were poor, you could glean the corners of the fields. You could take out of the corners of the fields what you needed for your daily bread. You could go to any lake or river and catch a fish without getting a license. You could go hunting for meat without a license, without that government interference. You didn't have to take out loans to buy a house. You didn't have to take out loans to buy a car. Families were together. Families always were together. Multiple generations living under the same roof, not spread out, usually all in the same place, all of their lives going back centuries. When Jesus says, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear, it seems like he doesn't understand, does he? I mean, I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got a car payment to pay off. I've got not only to feed myself, but my wife and children as well. I'm not a hunter. And even if I were, I'm not sure I could actually pull the trigger. I like eating meat. I'm just not sure I would like taking its life. I, I don't know. I, doesn't it seem like Jesus doesn't quite get it? He doesn't live in the 21st century. Today is all about anxiety. In fact, we have literal mental disorders now built around this. Jesus telling me, don't be anxious, that doesn't really do it, does it? Because I'm still anxious. It's like screaming into the wind sometimes. When you think about all the things that you've got to do and all of the things that you've got to buy and all of the things that you've got to keep up just to keep going in this world, feel lost. There's a couple ideas that Jesus gives us throughout this text to help explain why it is that he's saying this. Do remember that Jesus is not just some simple rabbi from first century Israel. He's the God who literally put this world in order and has even guided it to this day. 
So Jesus here knows exactly what will be coming. And still he tells us, do not be anxious. Maybe there are some ways that we can look at what Jesus is teaching us and and figure this out. I, well, if you know anything about me, you know that my first home is Wisconsin. My second considered home is, unfortunately, now probably Cincinnati. That's where my family grew up. But my third home, the place that I spent the most time consecutively as a kid, was in Washington State, out in Tacoma. And I love Tacoma. That's just a neat place. Now, I don't know if I would love it as an adult, but as a kid, it was fantastic. But I can tell you lots of stories. But this is the thing that I want to bring up to you. When I would go up to Mount Rainier, you guys have all heard of Mount Rainier, beautiful mountain, ready to be a volcano at any time, but I mean, just gorgeous. And you you start driving up this mountain and you have to drive through the forest and you have to zigzag up this road back and forth past waterfalls and past riverbeds that usually run dry after the glacial uh, runoff is done. You're driving up and, and all of a sudden Mount Rainier appears in the distance and it's completely devoid of the trees and yet you're surrounded by it and you keep driving and then all of a sudden you're in a plane. And you think, what is a plane doing on top of a mountain? Grasses and all this kind of stuff. And you drive into a town that's literally named Paradise up there. And you read all the cool things about Paradise, like how on this three-story building, snow usually goes over the top of it during the winter, and so nobody can get up there. And how it's just been, you know, people have set out from Paradise to climb Mount Rainier all the time. And one of the things that you want to do then is you want to go and take the hiking trails that are in this plain. And there's one hiking trail in particular. You walk up between these different rock walls and around this forest and you turn the bend and all of a sudden you see again that that spire of Mount Rainier there in the distance and your eyes are drawn down and down as you're looking for any sign of life on this mountain. And all of a sudden you see before you just fields and fields of wildflowers. Purple and yellow and pink and green and blue and red and every color you could possibly imagine are somehow growing there before the snowfield of Mount Rainier. And you look at these flowers and you realize not one single one is in contrast to another. They don't stick out like someone wearing a fluorescent pink top with fluorescent yellow pants. If the flowers did it, it would work. God has somehow designed these flowers and his nature to all work together to produce something that is beyond beautiful explanations. I mean, I can talk about the flowers all I want, and you might have gotten a bit of a picture, but unless you've actually been there, and it doesn't count seeing a photograph, unless you've been there and had your breath taken away by this sight, you don't know it. And so when Jesus says that the lilies neither toil nor spin, and that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these That's what he's trying to get to. 
the beauty that the flowers have is given to them by the very hand of God. They don't have to work for it. They just receive it as a gift. The birds. I always like birds. I don't like when they use my house for target practice, but I like birds nonetheless. I always enjoy hearing them. I enjoy seeing them. Every time I see a cardinal, I always think of my grandmother and my dad. They both love that bright red cardinal. But the birds, they just go about their business. They don't really care about what's going on in the world. They don't really care that the cat is stalking them because they'll just fly away. They don't have to collect for themselves. They just go out and find what they need because they receive all of that as a gift. And we have this wonderful bird feeder out in the back. It's rubbed down with this horrible chili powder. So if you touch it, you've got to wash your hands and everything. It keeps the squirrels away. The birds are so happy about it. They don't have to deal with competing with these squirrels. But they receive that bird feed that I've put out as a gift. And those worms that come up out of the ground after the rain... You can find them all in the yard, picking them up. They receive those worms as a gift. They don't really have to worry about that stuff. And yet, you have much more value than a bird. Jesus came and looked like you. He did not come with wings and a beak. When we think of anxiety, we think of a world gone wrong. Inflation has hit all of us, has it not? Worst inflation that we've seen certainly since the 70s. Gas prices have been through the roof. It literally actually changed my driving habits watching gas prices go up. I dropped my speed so I can get more mileage out of my car. I actually ended up with 100 miles more per tank just by going down five miles an hour. I was pretty happy with myself. You go to the store, do you buy the somewhat expired beef or the new beef? Because you can save two bucks on the old one. Do you buy the, the cheese that you really want? Do you buy the good brats or do you just buy the sausages? You look and you figure out, do I really need this or should I get this? I mean, that's kind of the time we're living in, right? We're all watching our pennies. We're all watching our wallets. I recently was in touch with the electrical company. They've raised our budget billing over $100 from last quarter to this next one. Not because my usage has gone up. So it's time to worry a little bit about money. Anxiety hits you. Am I going to have enough money to pay the bills? Am I going to have enough to make ends meet? Can I feed myself? Can I feed my kids? Can I feed my pets? I mean, if it comes down to it, Midgey knows she's the first one to go. It's the way that it happens. But Jesus looks at you. He says, the animals know 
how to receive God's free gifts. The plants know how to receive God's free gifts. They both live and work and have their being in God because they just receive. That, I think, is the antithesis to having anxiety. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't go out and work thinking that you're going to get able to do it all. That's not going to happen. Instead, wake up and say, God, what do you have to give to me today? It's almost like you start your day by changing your entire attitude where you receive everything that comes to you as a free gift. And that means then that anything that in your selfish, sinful mind you think you're lacking, it doesn't matter. Because everything else, look at all this wonderful stuff that I've had. And boy, doesn't that change your attitude. Many of you ever been with a kid on Christmas morning? They open up the present and they look at it and they go, I don't want that. It is, as, an, as a parent, it is the most embarrassing thing that can happen, right? Especially if it's a gift given from someone else. And as a gift giver, it's one of the most hurtful things that can happen. Instead of a child who goes, this is amazing, I love this, thank you. I was hoping for something like this. When it comes to the gifts of God, how do we receive what he has to give? I don't want that. This is amazing. Thank you. When it comes to the air we breathe, the food we have, the shelter we have, the world we live in, the sunshine we enjoy, do we receive these things as gifts or do we receive them as things that don't really matter? The trials and the troubles and the tribulations of this life. Do we receive these things as gifts? Or do we receive them as that spoiled child on Christmas morning? I don't want this. By the way, it is okay to say to God, I don't want this. But but how do you end it? Not my will, but yours be done. Now, it's one thing to say all of this. It's one thing to say, look, don't be anxious, right? A therapist is never going to say that to you because they know commanding you to do this in this way is not going to work. I don't know about you, but when someone tells me to do something, I am the kind of personality that wants to do the exact opposite, right? I don't know what it is. It's just, I think it's the sinful flesh that I have that says, you tell me to do this, I want to go and do that. So when Jesus says, don't be anxious, I kind of sit here and I go, I want to be anxious. I mean, and and honestly, it does feel good being anxious, doesn't it? It's kind of addicting, right? It's kind of like gossip where you just kind of love to do it and and you're not really happy unless you're engaged in it. Or or when you're angry at someone, to be able to sit in your anger and, and look at that person and just go, man... If you only knew how much I hated you. And you just like seethe. And it feels good after a while. Anxiety is the same thing. 
Because these things speak to our sinful flesh, that sinful flesh that wants to be fed with sinful things. And so when we're giving it sinful things, it's happy. And it wants more, of course. It's always gimme, 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 but it's happy with what it's getting. So it encourages you to give it more and more and more. False idols have a way of doing that. So it's one thing for us to say, hey, don't be anxious. Or wake up and receive everything as a gift. I think that's a fine way of saying it too. But how do you do that? Because there may come a day for you when you wake up and you go, I actually don't have the money to receive shelter as a gift from God anymore. My wallet's empty and I can't afford food anymore. I guess I'm going to have to walk to church naked this morning because I don't have clothes anymore. Now, you might think that that's far-fetched, but maybe not. You don't know what's coming. So what do you do when this happens? Jesus gives us the last key to understanding anxiety and how to defeat it. And it does not come from you. It does not come from you. What does he say? Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things, all the things that you know that you need, that God knows that you need, the things that he's going to give you, seek his kingdom, and all these things are going to be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, do you know what the kingdom is? The kingdom, as Jesus explains it, is himself. He is the very embodiment of the kingdom of God. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you Jesus. Now I'd like for you to engage with this little thought experiment for a moment. Where is it that you can find Jesus? All of the time, 100% guaranteed. Is it in a TV show? Of course not. Is it in nature? Of course not. That doesn't stop us from seeking him there. I've had many parishioners over the years tell me, well, I can worship God just as well out in my fishing boat as I can in church. And I would say, no, you cannot. Jesus is not promised to be found in nature. Packers games, sorry, Jesus isn't there either. Believe me, Jesus does not want to have anything to do with the NFL. It's pretty bad. Where's the only place that you can find Jesus 100% of the time? You know it. It's where you are now. This church and all the churches across the world, they are embassies of God's kingdom. They are, in fact, the very place you will find the kingdom of God every time you come to it. The place where God's word is preached rightly and his sacraments are administered properly. And in the kingdom of God, in this place, God gives to you all the things that you need. 
And I do not just mean the forgiveness of sins. Yes, this is true. This is the most important thing. That Christ has died for you, a sinner. He has forgiven your sins and has welcomed you into what is everlasting life. And if all we're saying is not based on that, then there's nothing else for us. But the kingdom of God doesn't stop there. Someone walks into the church naked, cold. Aren't we going to throw one of the robes that are here in the vestry on them? I'm sure that someone here is going to take them out to a store and clothe them after church. One of you walks in and says, I don't have money for food this week. Which of us is going to turn them away and say, God bless you, go your way. One of us walks in and says, I don't have a home anymore. My landlord evicted me. Which one of us is going to say, well, you know what? Maybe you're going to be able to find a homeless shelter somewhere instead of welcoming them into our home. We'll find a way. Because that's what the kingdom of God is about, is adding these things. You see, God has given his church, he's given you to the church to be able to give the things that are needed for this body and life. And really, in a very true way, we would begin to look like the church at the beginning of Acts, where everybody has everything in common with one another, giving to each other according to their need. That's why Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now, it's not bad that you have possessions, but give to those who have need. If you keep seeing your brothers and sisters in need, keep giving Invest in money bags that do not grow old. This is Jesus telling you. Invest in those good works that we've talked about over the last few weeks. Invest in these things that living according to your vocation, you're serving your neighbor with those things of gold that will last the fires of testing. Jesus says, don't be anxious. That's because it should be that here in this place, you find what you need. Jesus comes to you in his word, read, preached. Jesus comes to you in your baptism. Jesus comes to you in his supper. Jesus is in this place giving himself to you, forgiving your sins, welcoming you into everlasting life. And still, there's more. Luther said it once that we would truly have the church if when we come to the altar... And we kneel down at the rail that each person would lay their burden down on the person next to them and that the person next to them would lay their burdens down on you. That's what it looks like to live as the church. To be brothers and sisters in Christ, putting our burdens on one another and helping everyone carry the load. That's a wonderful and a blessed thing. That's why we're not anxious. Not because it's bad to work. Not because it's bad to have a mortgage. Not because it's bad to go to the store and buy food. Not because it's bad to try to figure out your meals for the week. Not because it's bad to have a car that's going to be able to get you to a, from A to B and in a little bit of comfort as well. Those things in themselves aren't bad. Anxiety 
about getting these things, holding on to these things, anxiety about what is your end. These things are bad. One last thing. When I was about 17, my parents sent me down to Florida to drive my 80-something-year-old grandmother from Fort Myers all the way back to Cincinnati. I don't know why they trusted me at that age, but it worked. Uh, I get there. My grandma picks me up at the airport. I hop into the driver's seat, and we begin to set off north. And if you know anything about this drive, you basically hop on 75, and you drive straight north. And you're going to go all the way. It goes from Miami all the way up through Michigan. We were going to go to Miami. We're north of that, and we're going to stop certainly south of Michigan and Cincinnati. But you kind of go through Florida, and Florida, driving through Florida is really not all that pretty. Palm trees, but it's mostly grody and junky, and it doesn't look very nice. And you get to Georgia, and you can almost feel like the, the humidity sticking to you as you're driving through. And you see the kudzu, and you see the trees, and it's beautiful, but, but boy, it's starting to get to be a long drive at that point. You're about 10 hours in. When you finally hit that Tennessee border, you start getting up into the mountains, and that's when you really have to start paying attention, because now you're there in the dark, and driving back and forth through these mountains, through these trees, not knowing where you're going, not knowing where, what you can see around the next bend, not knowing if there's going to be a truck coming down and barreling straight at you, or if there's going to be a missing guardrail, and you go right off the side. And you get in, into Kentucky, and it's a whole lot more flat. And at this point, you're at about 15, 16 hours, and I'm tired, and I'm exhausted, and I just kind of want to stop and I want to cry, but I'm a 17-year-old boy and I'm not going to do that in front of my grandma. But she's just sitting there happily eating her McDonald's French fries because we've stopped seemingly at every McDonald's along the way. She loved those fries. And then finally, you see a sign that says, Cincinnati, 120 miles. And you look at that and your whole body relaxes. And you begin to have a little bit more joy. Because in that moment, you know that you're almost home. If you listen to Hebrews, it was by faith in the Messiah that all of those Old Testament saints did not receive what was promised to them, but saw it from a long way off and rejoiced. If we're looking for a lack of anxiety, look at that day that's coming. That last day when all this life and suffering is over. That last day when Christ raises you from the dead. It's like 120 miles away. Now you don't know what's coming in between here and there. But it's coming. Don't have anxiety because that day is still coming to you. That day is coming for you. Don't have anxiety because you're not going to add a single day to your life. In fact, that day is coming when it's meant to come. It's a joy to be in Christ because we have each other. We have our Jesus in this place.
And we have the day of resurrection that's coming for us. We may not know exactly when it is, but we know and we see like the saints that it's coming for us. Just a short ways off now. Don't have anxiety, my friends, not as a command to push you into proper behavior. But don't have anxiety because God has already taken care of everything that you need. God has given you every free gift, every good gift. God has given to you brothers and sisters to surround you. And God is giving you life after sin. I know this has been a long sermon and you've been very good by going along with it with me. But, but know this. This church, this congregation, God has given to each one of you, small as we may be today, so that we are able to support one another in all of our hope, in all of our joy, and in all of our Jesus. We've been given to each other for years in some cases, and just a few for others. But we've been given to each other that we might indeed live as the kingdom of God. And is that not a joy? Don't be anxious, my friends. God's taking care of you here. And God is taking care of you no matter where you are in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.